Welcome to the OCR Underground Show. Each week, you get the latest research, training secrets of top coaches, and everything you need to crush your next obstacle course race and finish burpee-free. Here's your host, SGX coach, Mike Diebler. All right, what's up, everybody? This is SGX coach Mike Diebler, and welcome to episode 32 of the OCR Underground Show, where we're helping you take your OCR training to the next level with smarter workouts and better nutrition. Now, our Spartan season is in full effect, and as are many of the obstacle course races out there, hopefully you guys have been getting your feet wet with some of these races. Um, I'm excited. I'm actually going to finish my first trifecta of the year. I'm getting ready to head out to Ohio to run the Beast and the Sprint. Uh, Super excited for that, although I have to admit I am incredibly sore, and I'm hoping that I have enough time this week to recover a little bit. Um, The reason I'm sore is I just hosted an amazing workshop at my studio. We had uh, Gray Cook and his staff at Functional Movement Systems come out and teach the new uh, Fundamental Capacity screen, which was absolutely amazing. I'm still digesting the info. Um, It's stuff that I I definitely have to play around with with myself and test it out on a few clients, but I'm really excited to get some of this information out because a lot of it is going to be completely changing how you might do some of your training systems. Um, We talk about a ton of different topics. uh, For example, learning how to land before you jump, which I know that might sound basic, but we just went into specific strategies on how you actually can jump farther and jump higher without actually jumping at all. So I know pretty crazy stuff, but it was amazing. We saw these things happen uh, right in front of us or how grip, many people have issues with grip and they feel that it might be a strength issue when in fact it might be more of a a postural stability or a neurological issue, which was pretty, pretty cool again to see live examples of how people got better with just a few simple changes. Um, We talked about pain signals and how they override movement signals and kind of the importance of when you are in pain, how it's not just, or you just don't want to push through it because you just change movement. And even when that pain goes away, you might have uh, affected that movement and now it's going to result in pain somewhere else. So anyway, these are just a couple of the topics that we got into and there's a whole lot more. Um, So I want to definitely Uh, write up some of these. I'll definitely create some videos and blog posts on some of the topics that we went into. And um, really, I think it'll be beneficial for most people's training. But essentially, we talked about um, how to become a higher level performer and a more durable athlete. And that's kind of the most important part, because if you're not durable, if you, you know, it's, it's the number one rule is you need to be healthy to participate. And if you're not healthy, and you need to sit out these races, it's incredibly frustrating. And, um, there's a lot that you can do to make sure you maximize this ability there and to be durable and to be able to keep up with this intense training, but do it in a smart way so you're not just beating yourself up and destroying your joints. So definitely look out for more info on, on some of the topics we talked about in this awesome workshop. But on to this week's episode. Uh, this week we have a, a Spartan Race recap with Coach Jono Blodgett. You may remember Coach Jono from a previous podcast. He is with Mauka Makai. Hopefully I'm saying that right, all the way out in Hawaii. So he made the long trek to New Jersey, and he has the race recap for the Spartan Beast that was a couple weeks ago. And in our research review, I'm going to talk about some study on interval training. And I know you're thinking, not another interval training study. We already know that it's so amazing, and 
a lot of you are probably already doing it, but this study was pretty cool. It's actually going to not just look at interval training, but it's going to look at the rest. So how you should be determining your rest in between intervals. A lot of times you might just say, well, I'm going to rest for a minute or two minutes or a work to rest ratio of one to two, whatever it might be. Um, this study is going to compare different types of rest uh, methods and compare to the, re the performance. So pretty interesting research there. And finally, in our coach's corner, I have on woodworker slash SGX coach Sam Slossman with Synergy Personal Training and Sinners OCR out of Fresno, California. We have a great discussion where Sam discusses his personal philosophy on designing program. And specifically, we get into how to train for obstacles specifically and how to incorporate them into your training program without overdoing it and just uh, burning yourself on burning yourself out on obstacle-specific training. Uh, he also shows how you can prepare for some unknowns because obviously in obstacle course races such as Spartan races, you are going to face something maybe you've never seen before or you just don't know completely what to expect. So he has some great tips on how you can prepare for um, things that you just can't uh, expect to find. And then he's even going to get into some tips on how you can build some of your own obstacles if you are handy and can put some of these things uh, together. So he has some great tips for you there, plus some awesome other insight on his training philosophy, his training methods to help you prep better for your next race. All right, so let's get into this week's episode. Hey, how's it all, my fellow obstacle course racers? This is John O'Blodgett from uh, Malcolm Mackay Fitness located out in Hawaii. And today I'm going to be giving you your race recap for the New Jersey uh, Beast. I made the, the mission all the way from the middle of the Pacific to the East Coast for this race. I was really excited for it. And uh, Spartan never ceased to fail on uh, putting on a great race. The, uh, it was located in Vernon, New Jersey, out in uh, Mount Creek Ski Resort. So straight out of the starting line, we climbed and climbed and climbed. So lots of hills this race. Uh, I'd say for the first three quarters to a mile was all hills. So that really um, got the lungs burning straight out of the gun. For uh, the rest of the race, they started the Ultra Beast before the Elite Beast. So this was something I'd never experienced before. Um, they must have had a good four or five heats of the Ultra Beast racers head out before us. So uh, for the entire race, we were constantly maneuvering and dodging and ducking around uh, slower racers. So I thought this was a little interesting caused uh, some extra hazardous conditions I feel um, we we're often running into people and um, and going off trail so created a little extra uh, increased risk of injury I think just by having to go off trail your footing is is less stable rather than on the nice on a nice groomed trail so something spartan maybe to look into and um and do something about that but if uh, if you're going to do this race again be prepared to do a lot of yelling and letting people know that you're coming up behind them so that they do have a chance to get out of your way uh, as far as the obstacles, they were kind of all your standard uh, difficulty level, I feel. Um, some water, water hazards, which was nice. Uh, 
weather was was good. They were calling for a heat wave of about 85 degrees, uh, but it still stayed cool for for most of the day. Um, the obstacles towards the end, they did stack the uh, bucket carry, the twister, and the rope climb all at the finish line. Uh, something they've I think they've started to do more and more just to really test your hand grip. But um, started with a, a very steep, long bucket carry and then went into the twister. This was my first experience with the twister, and um, so it was definitely interesting. Uh, watched a video of Joe D.I. kind of explaining a little tutorial where he recommends you take a side approach and just kind of go hand, hand to hand with the, the twister spinning towards you. I attempted this and didn't have uh, much luck with it. Watched a lot of other people going straight at it, uh, hand over hand, like as if you were doing a monkey bar almost. And I think it it was much easier. Looked like it was a better technique. The um, the twister kind of did stay a little more stable, I feel, and you can get the momentum easier of going straight ahead rather than at its side. So maybe something you want to play around with. Definitely test the hand grip, so keep continuing to work on that. Um, so, yeah, for future reference, I mean, if you're going to be doing the New Jersey Spartan Beast, definitely train those hills, lots and lots of hills, getting maybe some weighted vest carries, and um, really just pushing, working on that, those climbing techniques. And um, definitely one thing that was different for me coming from Hawaii, watching out for those ticks. Man, they, they, uh, I saw a few on me and it freaked me out. So if you do this race, definitely give yourself a good look over for any ticks that might be, uh, have caught a ride on you after those carries. So great race. Definitely enjoyed it. Uh, if you guys want any other tips and uh, recommendations on, on training for your next Spartan, look me up on Instagram, John O'Blodgett or Malcolm Mackay Fitness, and I'll uh, be happy to answer any questions you may have. Happy racing. All right. Thanks, Coach Blodgett, for a great race recap. I'm definitely excited to get into or get out to New Jersey for that race. I actually grew up not too far from there. Uh, it's actually where I grew up skiing when it was Vernon Valley, and then I know it changed to uh, Mountain Creek uh, a little bit after I moved out of there. But I remember skiing those slopes. I'm sure it is a lot more fun skiing down than running up them. But definitely one I'm, I'm looking forward to get back, get back home and, and uh, check out that race there. But let's move on to our research review. And I wanted to talk about interval training, like I mentioned in the introduction. And they, I found a study in the Journal of Psychophysiology in 2011 called Self-Pacing and Interval Training, a Tello-Anticipating Approach. I know it's kind of a mouthful. But um, just real quick before we get into the study, when you think about when you run an interval, so obviously you're running a, a bout of hard effort and then you alternate it with about of easier recovery, um, you may not think too much about how are you recovering. So there's active recovery where you might be jogging or walking or, or doing something, and then there's passive recovery where you might just be kind of standing there waiting for the next interval. And um, th there's not necessarily a right wrong, it's just based on what you're specifically trying to do, what type of intervals that you might be doing, right? If you're doing all out sprinting, more of a passive recovery is probably more beneficial versus maybe just a longer 
anaerobic sprint or even aerobic interval, then you're probably fine doing some type of active recovery there. But you may not have thought either about, well, how long should you rest, right? Should you rest 30 seconds? Should you rest a minute? Does it depend on the length of the interval that you're running, right? And these are all valid questions, um, but you definitely want to have some type of plan going in. And there are obviously different methods. So that's why I wanted to bring this study up because I thought it, it, it basically looked at the three most common methods for determining your recovery during an interval workout. So they wanted to look at uh, one was perceived exertion. So they would basically rate how they felt. So this is essentially you would run hard, you would recover, and then when you're ready to go or you felt like you were ready to go, you would go again. Um, there's also a work to rest ratio. So here you might do something like, well, if I'm going to run for two minutes, then I'll recover for two minutes, right? That's a one-to-one -one work to rest ratio. Or maybe I'm doing something a little more intense. I'm going to do a 30-second sprint, and then I'm going to recover for a minute and a half. And then we have a, a one-to-three work to rest ratio, work to recovery ratio. And then the final way is you can use your heart rate, right? So you can run hard, hit a certain heart rate number, and then you're not going and then you're going to rest essentially until you've lowered your heart rate to another target goal um, and in this study they took a group of experienced runners these were competitive runners and they had them do the same workout three times and they essentially did each of the different types of recovery with them so for the workout they did five by 1000 meter sprints um, and they were they were trying to hit intensities of around 90 percent of their heart rate max um, so the first time they did it, they used a perceived exertion scale. And this basically they would a rating uh, where seven was being they were exhausted and there was no way they could they could go. And one being they were completely recovered. So they basically just would ask them, where are you on this scale? And when they hit one, they were ready to go again. In the second version of this workout, they did uh, a work to rest ratio of one to one. So if it took them two minutes to run the thousand meters, then they rested for two minutes. So it was pretty straightforward there. And in fact, it took them about actually 200 seconds to finish on average each uh, interval. So they rested approximately uh, 200 seconds in between each, each round. And then finally, the third workout, they used heart rate monitoring. So in this one, they ran the 1000 meters and then they would just rest until their heart rates hit at a minimum of 130 beats per minute. All right, and then they just looked at what were the differences in performance for each of these different time trials or workouts that um, they did with the different amounts of rest. Now, the interesting thing was um, the, the one that was the best where they uh, hit the top performance, actually the perceived exertion work to rest ratio of one to one showed to be uh, where they could hit the highest intensities during their training, which was really interesting. And in fact, they found with perceived exertion, they were able to hit the same intensity as work to rest ratio of one to one, yet they rested less. Um, so in the, like I mentioned, in, in the one to one ratio, they were resting, working for 199 seconds on average, resting for 199 seconds for the uh, perceived exertion they ran again on average about 199 seconds but then they actually only rested 162 seconds on average so a uh, pretty significant less rest and were still able to hit that same performance uh, that third group though the heart rate they actually found they had the worst performance out of all of this they were hitting uh, about 205 seconds and then they were resting 114. so they were the ones that felt the most tired um, and so perceived exertion was highest and they saw the slowest times during their intervals. 
Uh, the other interesting thing with all groups, lactate levels, which is kind of a, a sign that fatigue is, is starting to set in because they're, they're tapping out on their anaerobic energy production. Uh, they were actually equal or fairly equal in all groups, um, but fatigue was the most in that heart rate group. So kind of the practical application here is that really any method is going to be useful um, so if you don't have anything fancy, you can just go when you're ready again. Now, there's obviously some issues with that. So these were competitive racers. If you are not competitive, you might have a harder time knowing when exactly you're well rested. Um, but if you're at least tracking the time it takes to run your intervals, then you'll know if you're hitting the right intensities or not. Um, despite these findings, I have to admit, I'm still a fan of heart rate monitoring. I think it is the most accurate way and, and the best way to create a customized program for somebody. And even though it in this study resulted in decreased performance, I think there are a couple things that we want to at least be aware of there. Uh, one, we have to think what would happen if they got better or if they can, this was only one workout, what if they continue to use heart rate monitoring? What if those numbers changed? Would they have changed any faster than some of the other groups? Um, but the other thing I wanted to mention, they kind of used on average 130 beats per minute. Now every athlete is going to be slightly different on what their heart rate should be. And when, when I figured out the math, that 130 beats per minute was around 68% of their max heart rate. And that's pretty high to hit another interval. And if and with the rest that we saw, they were only resting on average 114 seconds. So I still think heart rate monitoring is probably the best way to manage your rest. But my personal opinion is I would wait until it hit intensities of around 60%. And if they did that, they would be waiting uh, until their heart rate was around 115 beats per minute versus 130. So I'd be interesting to see another study if they used heart rate monitoring, but just used a, a slightly lower uh, heart rate intensity before they hit the next bow. And I think we would have seen slightly better results there because I do feel that that's really the whole point of interval training is to manipulate your heart rate. And it's to hit a certain high intensity and for it to allow it to recover to a certain low intensity. And heart rate monitoring is just a great way to do that. But Despite that, you don't need a heart rate monitor, right? You can just use perceived exertion. You just have to really understand what that means, how you feel before you hit your next intervals. So bottom line is just make sure you're hitting those high intensities. So if we're, hit, if we're trying to hit 90% of your max heart rate, first you need to know what 90% of your max heart rate is and approximately what that feels like in case you don't have a heart rate monitor. And to know that with every training intensity or with every hard interval, you are hitting that intensity and you're recovering enough so you can hit that intensity again. Because sometimes even though you might feel like you're just pushing as hard as you can, you're so fatigued that your heart rate's actually not hitting that high intense uh, bout that we're trying to get. So again, I know that might be mixed results with, with some things there, but it's something I, I definitely think you should play around with and look at your rest and see if it's leading to maximal performance with each interval. All right, it is time for our coach's interview, and this week I have on SGX coach Sam Slossman with Sinners OCR, which is part of Synergy Personal Training and Boot Camp in Fresno. Sam is the woodworking Spartan, so he can actually build you an obstacle and then teach you on how to conquer it. 
Coach Sam has a background in kinesiology and exercise science from Fresno State, and he is a Spartan obstacle course specialist as well as specializes in endurance training and functional training. All right, Coach Sam, how are you doing today? Welcome to the underground. Thank you for having me. I'm doing well. How are you? Uh, I'm great. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much for coming on. I'm excited to get you on here and talk some OCR training for our listeners. Uh, before we get into it, why don't you give a little bit of background about how you got into obstacle course racing and, and eventually coaching? Okay. So I ran my first race in 2015. Um, it was the Temecula uh, when they still were running in Temecula. And I, the reason I started racing was just because I wanted that extra challenge. I had reached a high point in my weight, and I said, if I reach that point, um, then I'm going to make a change. And so my friends said, hey, do a race with me. And I said, yes, without even looking. I had <laughs> first part in the past, and I was kind of like, oh, let's just do it. I went with uh, four weeks of training into my first race, and I didn't wear I, – I knew not to wear cotton, and I, I kind of went to the race, but I wore just like regular old shoes, like tennis shoes. And that was the worst thing ever because we hit the first obstacle. I still remember was a mud pit. And I remember getting out of that mud pit and looking at my friend who was more fit than I was and going, oh, no, I'm in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I definitely struggled. Uh, I, I got through it. I struggled through it. Um, my girlfriend ran it with me, and she stayed back with her friends. And I kind of was by myself most of it. But I struggled through it. And uh, at that time when I was racing, I was kind of in these crossroads of what I want to do with my life. And, um, I was going into the route of physical therapy and I finished the race and I kind of looked at my, uh, now fiance and I looked at her and I said, um, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. <laughs> it's just, if you want to do that, let's do it. And, um, so then from Temecula, I went into Monterey as my second super and I was still horrible. And then my beast was, uh, Tahoe unexpectedly in 2015 and, nice. That was, you know, <laughs> uh, <laughs> a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah. And then it just kind of exploded from there. Um, after I ran Tahoe, I, I seriously looked into it and looked into the, I found the SGX program and I looked at her because we were about to apply for physical therapy and I said, nope, this is, this is what I want to do. So I signed up SGX coach by that December, I had my certification and then, um, just been constantly going now since, um, and just building upon that. And then I kind of fell in love. I'm also a woodworker, so I fell in love with the obstacle side and I knew I could build obstacles and I was just kind of waiting for that moment to, to who's, who am I going to build it for? <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. And, and I definitely want to get into that side of it and maybe yeah. give some tips for our listeners on if they're thinking about building some, some obstacles. But, um, before I, I kind of want to start with your first couple of races, because I know a lot of people listening, they maybe have one under their belt or they're listening to this, trying to figure out what their first race is going to be like. So you, you did four weeks of training, which um, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that you probably wish you had more time than that. Yeah, I definitely did. Um, but what I what I realized is I did something different each time I did a race, which I know is not the norm and I am. I don't recommend people do this, um, but I like the, so the first race I did four weeks of training with my friend and we were primarily inside the gym, just doing weightlifting, things like that. And, uh, the next race I did, uh, more on my own. I, I started with a little bit more yoga, working on my flexibility, a little bit more running. And I seemed to improve upon that. Um, and each race basically up until I got my SGX certification, I did something slightly different every time. Um, to know, to basically say that if I can do this race, that anyone can do this race, because this is how I trained for it. I didn't, I didn't 
fall directly into this crazy legit program that took me into this um the perfect training um i i kind of tweaked it a little bit and just jumped in um my mental grit basically took me took me through each race um which then is kind of funny because now i've fallen in love with all the endurance events mm-hmm. um <laughs> i absolutely love those and everyone tells me i'm crazy but that's the beauty of them <laughs> <laughs> exactly um yeah and you know training differently from race to race is probably a good idea because sometimes we try and outsmart ourselves and we forget that every race is going to be different like i remember my first race was temecula as well in uh, 2012 or 2013 and i remember did that with my wife and and had a blast and i remember the first i don't know maybe mile and a half was all trail running a mm-hmm. uh, very narrow path through the woods kind of and it was hard to pass people and then the next one i ran with a client and i told him like hey let's get to the front of our heat because you don't want to get stuck then it's really hard to pass people if you know you if you want to pick it up so we we take yeah. it off and then that second race it was immediately into the um the mud baths so oh. it was funny you're running and that was like 25 or like 250 meters into the race <laughs> it was immediately waist deep to chest deep mud yeah and it was funny because we were first at that point and <laughs> You could see everybody slowing down because nobody wanted to be the first one in to see how deep it was. So yeah. it's like everybody getting slower and slower, and then eventually somebody just took off and jumped in it. But, um, but yeah, you don't know exactly what to expect. So just when you have it figured out with your training program, sometimes you you just get thrown a curveball and you're not sure what to do. Exactly. Um, I kind of tell them I'm prepared for the unexpected. Um, the obstacles are relatively now have been kind of the same you know what to expect but still at the same time you know how the train's going to be um diablo is a great example the first year they had it it was hot and dusty and horrible um we ran the course flat and then ended with those hills and then this year it was the opposite and it was mm-hmm. green lush and it wasn't as bad yeah um, but I, I try to especially with training with clients i definitely try to incorporate the unexpected as, as best as possible yeah yeah and let's build off of that so do you have any examples maybe that you kind of throw clients off by not really uh, to, to, so they don't know what to expect with their training? Yeah. So at least at, at centers, we run a, um, a, our OCR program and every week we kind of have the same structure of our classes. So Monday is our strength day, um, or like weight lift, uh, weights and movement like that with body weights and stuff. Um, Tuesday, I, I actually break down an obstacle specific and we break down each obstacle. And then Wednesday is one of my favorite days um it's called the hack uh stands for a heavy ass carry um so we get people ready for the bucket brigade which happens to be my favorite obstacle um and we get them ready for the sandbag and the log carry like that and that's where we really throw just whatever we want at them um we we kind of i've i've made them carry a punching bag to a tire to just plates to buckets to whatever high the object I can possibly carry. And I make them do it in different ways. Um, sometimes I go for, a, it's a long distance too. So we're, we're covering about a half mile distance uh, of movement, a uh, quarter mile out, quarter mile back. And uh, it definitely, I, I've seen the, the improvement with all my clients. They tell me, oh, the bucket brigade's so easy now. I'm like, good, mm-hmm. that's great. Yeah. And then I even run endurance events um, modeled slightly after the hurricane heats that, I, that's just coming from my brain of crazy and we, I've done things like um, we'll go to a hill and one of my favorite ones that I do with my training partner training partner is um, we'll take a log and we'll strap 
um, we'll get two straps and we'll strap them to ourselves and we'll do bear crawls up the hill with a log strapped to the (laughs) torso. So we like to throw in the curveballs as best as possible. That's awesome. Yeah. Cool. Well, now that you mentioned that, um, let's, how would the rest of your week look, look like? So right now, since we are still a relatively new program, um, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday is our weekly class schedule. I'm still working on a Thursday, Friday, but we have our obstacle, uh, specific class on Saturdays. Um, it's a nice class that I tell everyone to come in, uh, who's never done anything OCR before. So we break it up. We do about four or five exercises, just standard exercises, um, ball slams, burpees, things like that. Um, and then with our obstacles, I have about eight at our gym. We run people through a cycle of a two minutes, um, on each obstacle. So they're kind of working that endurance and embracing the suck for the two minutes. Um, and we just run them through the cycle. And then after about 45 minutes of running through that, it's an hour class. We spend the last uh, half to 15 minutes of the class breaking down three specific obstacles, which are usually the rig, the rope climb. And I actually have an Olympus at our gym. Um, and we, we teach them, we, we just send them on a rotation five minutes trying to get as much one-on-one training as possible. So they know the techniques and going over the best strategies to get through each obstacle. Awesome. So, um, one thing I always like to bring up and, and we've talked about before on this show is how some people, when they, you know, they, they know they need work on monkey bars or the rig or the rope climb, and they tend to just hit the playground and that's their workouts where they're doing non-stop obstacles to try and get better for that specific thing but it sounds like you um are, are definitely throwing the obstacles in there but you're not going obstacle crazy with your program no. yeah no definitely not um it it's one of the beauty things about being at centers um is that i have uh, another sjx coach carissa darkerty with me and she has taken on the big strength role um she's been training with the owner walt uh, Gonzalez who owns Synergy and they, they love the strength portion and just live, lifting heavy and all that and I try to keep it light with the obstacles so we actually develop our, our clients into hybrids so um, they're getting the time with strength as well as the times with the obstacles and learning techniques and they're not getting overloaded on one thing or the other so we're kind of instilling both into them. All right so you have uh, so you have a day basically devoted to strength uh, yes. on your on your obstacle training days Mm-hmm. So what strategies do you have? So you're working them into your, your, uh, workouts then. Yeah. So today, for example, so today's Tuesday, um, our, our class is at seven. Um, today we're working on the rope. So I'm going to take a, a, a few people. It's hard to do if we have a big class, it's hard to do everyone at once, but I'll take a few people at a time and I'll teach them the basic technique. I'll look at them let, uh, and see what I need to adjust. Um, and then I'll teach them the technique or just adjust them to make it more efficient for them. So I, I work on the efficiency of the obstacle so that way they can get through the obstacle and then continue going without wasting all their energy on just muscling through an obstacle, um, which I find a lot of people do. Um, so then while I'm working the technique, the other half of the class is going to go through the, the exercises part. And it kind of works both because now they, they'll be able to train on the obstacle fresh. They'll get a workout in and they'll come back to the obstacle uh, a little bit tired, which is more of what it's going to be like in the race. So they'll actually get to feel close to what it's going to be like in the race. And that, that I've realized is the most important thing. Um, I have an example of a client that I worked with, uh, her, her first beast was Tahoe and, uh, 
all she wanted to do was climb the rope. That was like her one goal. And I said, fine, let's climb the rope. But at the time, our program was so new, I didn't have a rope climb. Mm-hmm. I had monkey bars that were eight feet high. So I, I strung up a rope that um, that I had on the monkey bars. And I basically taught her the technique, the feet work, um, and everything I needed to – so that way she knew how to go uh, go up the rope. And I just worked on – she'd do the feet work up to the monkey bars, do the monkey bars, come back, and come back down with her feet. And that's all we were we, – we did that as long as with her strength training. And then when she got to Tahoe, which happened to be this year like one of the last obstacles, she went up in no problem. And there was a lot of people around her that were like struggling with it because it was the mental thing as well. So I took the mental aspect out of it. And I was like, look, you can do it at 8 feet. You can do it at 16 feet. You can do it at 20 feet. doesn't matter. You have the same technique. You know the technique. Stick with it. And she went up in no problem. And that was really cool to hear and see. That's awesome. And uh, so it kind of made, uh, sounded like a good strategy for some people is you might not be great at all of the obstacles, or maybe there's a handful that you really struggle with. Yeah. And sometimes it almost gets overwhelming where like, I can't do this. I can't do that. Yes. But if it's like, let me, I, w- I want to be able to do this one, you know, yes. let me just get my technique down. And if, Hey, if you burpee out on all of them, but the rope climb, that's a successful race, in my opinion. Exactly. So most people they get over they get overwhelmed with all the obstacles, and I always tell them it's this is a very frustrating sport because you're looking at everything as a whole, and you're just like, there's no way I can do all of this. Like I, I they they just start freaking out. I'm like, oh, let's just slow down, figure out what you need to do, um, and we'll take it one time, one thing at a time, um, and I break it down easily. And then each race, if they have a ton of obstacles or they have one obstacle they work on. I just say, Hey, what's your goal for this race? Focus on that goal. Don't worry about everything else. You can only control what you can control. Um, don't stress on the things you can't control. That's one of my favorite advice. <laughs> yeah. Oh, definitely. And, and I think, you know, we can see that if anybody watched some of the live streaming of, uh, the, uh, Spartan race in Seattle and even watching those elite guys and, and girls, you know, they're failing obstacles too. And it's not that they can't do those things, but they might start thinking about other things like, well, how far of a lead do I have? Or how far behind am I? Or, you know, they just start thinking about things that aren't necessarily right in their control where they absolutely have control of hitting that spear, but you let other things creep in there and all of a sudden you missed. And now you're, you're doing burpees and losing a lead or, or yep. um, yeah, not being able to catch somebody. Exactly. I, I... I actually had a uh, elite uh, racer come to us. She's been racing elites uh, for I think over a year, or maybe a little less. And uh, she came up to me, and we were talking about it. And um, she actually hasn't been completing a lot of the obstacles. So I, I, I basically broke down what her her fundamental problem was, and it was she was overworking herself. Her heart rate would get too high. She would, and it, she would just rush through. And I'm like, all right, let's slow it down. We need to find something that's going to slow you down. Just take that breath and go through it. Um, her first race after training with us um, for, I think, t- two months, she ran her for perfect race and got her coin to Tahoe. So that was like, really cool to see. And I was, awesome. I was like, oh, I was so happy. I was throwing my hands <laughs> up there, like, woo, screaming. Nice. That was great. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So um, let's go back to your, your training a little bit. Um, so it sounds like you, I, I like your strategy, basically. So on an obstacle day. You're mm-hmm. taking the time in the beginning to focus on whatever technique they need to understand for that, how to get through it efficient, uh, efficiently. So like you said, they're not just completely wrecked after that obstacle because it might be rig right to rope climb or something like yes. that where if you just wasted all of your energy on that rig, you're not going to have a chance on the rope climb. So um, 
So they're focusing on all that stuff when they're fresh. Mm-hmm. Then they're going through a workout. Mm-hmm. And then are they coming back to the same obstacle when they're tired that they were? Yes, just- we'll, come, we'll come back to this. If it's an obstacle specific, like if it's just like, for example, the rope climb, then yeah, we'll come right back to that rope climb after a little bit tired and they'll go back up it and see what, okay, this is what you need to work on. Your feet a little tighter, um, get your feet a little higher and focus mainly with the rope. It's the feet. A lot of people mm-hmm. kind of that sometimes. Yeah. Um, and so we, we, we see what they can do when they're tired and that's where, then I go into something I call it um, I call it OEWs. So if I work with a client more one on one, I go into an OEW. It's obstacle endurance workout. Mm-hmm. So I'll set up four or five obstacles um, that they'll run through, but they'll carry a bucket. Um, we have a staircase in our in our gym, so they'll carry the bucket up and down the staircase, grab a medicine ball, slam it twenty times, um, do twenty squats, and then run through the obstacles. And I kind of time them on that and get them a little bit stressed out to see how they how they respond to being tired. Uh, it's the best way I can figure out how to get them as tired as quickly as possible and then jump onto the obstacles and see what they can do. Right. Um, so I like breaking it down and seeing their techniques. Um, and then also taking the time, even with our classes on Tuesdays, taking the time and finding the, uh, the technique that works for each person, not just as a whole, but really looking at a person and be like, Hey, this technique will work better for you or this technique won't work for you. Um, uh, we all, I, I notice in this, in this field that we all kind of say, Hey, this is the technique that works. And we kind of generalize it where I, it's not exactly true. Cause you want to sit there and be like, no, this technique works. Yes. But this might work a little better if you tweak it this way, for example. Yeah, no, that's a great point because, um, I know with a lot of our, in our classes, when we practice spear throwing, I have a specific way I like to teach it. It makes total <laughs> sense to me and it works really well for me personally. And I, I don't miss that often. And, um, you know, for the most part, clients can pick it up, but every once in a while, there's somebody that just can't get it. And I'll have somebody else in class just come over and say, try this. And they have, they've found their own technique and that's cool. I don't even have to teach them. And and they're like, that works so much better. And I don't want to, I'll never be like, no, 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 no. You have to do it. Like I teach you. It's like, no, I don't care. You can throw this upside down if you want. If you hit it every time, that's all that matters. So, um, but that's a great point that you know, we're teaching what we think works best, but absolutely. Somebody might have a better approach and if they, their, their biomechanics work better or it just makes sense for them, then that's a great, um, just a, a great thing to remember that there is no one right method to do it. The only yeah. right way is when you get past it. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's part of, that's the kind of way I designed that Tuesday class is everyone's together. If you're new or if you're, you've been doing sports for a while, you're all in one group and you can all watch each other. Yes. us coaches are there to help you and give you our tips, but you're also there to learn from each other and watch, Oh, how did that person do it? They're about my same height and stature. Um, they did it this way. Maybe I'll try it that way. So they, they can see it. Um, and then we also finished that, that day. I kind of play a game with each obstacle because one of the best ways to get better at an obstacle is doing the obstacle, but after a while, doing the same one over and over it gets repetitive and boring. So I like to try to come up with a different game um, with an obstacle that they they have to complete. So like for our rig, I'll throw up every hold we have on our rig, and um, I call it landmines. And you have to get through the monkey bars with everything hanging without touching anything. If you touch it, that's five burpees. Um, or if you fall off, it's ten burpees. So you have to get all the way through without touching anything. Um, and uh, I just like to throw in the game so people, they, they, our clients learn to do the obstacle better without realizing what they're doing. They're kind of letting their mind go and just doing the, the muscle memory. That's awesome. And, and I can see that totally relevant, again, for kind of training for the unknown because 
you might not not have an issue with monkey bars typically, but what if something comes up like you cut your hand or like there's one spot on your finger that like you just can't get the same grip or it's super muddy and you your yeah. traditional grip's not working and you need to switch it up to have the ability of to um, kind of adapt on the fly is going to be so beneficial. So yes. that's a fun fun game. I might have to steal that from you and <laughs> go for it. Throw it, throw it in. That's cool. Yeah. Um, cool. So uh real quick uh, so you mentioned monday's your weight day um mm-hmm. what would typically be the structure of that workout so we'll set them up um about four exercises combined with uh with like typically kettlebells ball slams uh rec bags those are kind of our our core things not necessarily barbells or dumbbells or anything like we use dumbbells uh for definitely for grip we'll, mm-hmm. we'll grip the outside and use that um but we'll run them through one minute stations um, and they'll, they'll go through it. So we'll start the class. I always start almost every class with animal movements. It's kind of our, our core foundation of, uh, the Spartan ABCs. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely, they definitely relate to everything. Um, and then we will go through, we'll send them on actually, uh, two laps around our parking lot just to get a nice, make sure they're nice and warmed up. And then we'll send them through one minute, uh, stations, uh, four exercises, typically more, depending on what the obstacle is of that week, if it's uh, more, le- if the obstacle on Tuesday is going to be more arm-based then our workout on Monday is going to be a little bit more leg-based. Okay. Um, and then we'll send them, so once they complete that full round, then they'll either do abs or they'll do more of a cardio. So we try to get their whole body throughout the whole week. Um, so that way they're, they're ready to go. Okay, cool. And are you doing any, or maybe like just recommending on their own, any specific running, running workouts for them? Yeah, so... We did have a, a running coach, um, but he uh, had to step away. He was enlisted. Uh, he went into the military and is coming back. So hopefully we'll have our running program up and running again. Uh, but what we do on running now is we go to – there's a great trailhead that we hit up every Sunday. At 6 a.m. we meet up and we, we take that, and it's a pretty steep hill. Mm-hmm. Uh, and most of the running um, – I find that most clients, they like to – they have their – little running schedule that they like to do on their own time and they come to us for more of the specific strength and obstacles gotcha that makes total sense cool um so you mentioned you're a you're a woodworker yes so you have pretty good skill for building some of these obstacles Uh, yeah (laughs) (laughs) i'm sure better than me for sure um so i i know a lot of people out there would love to have some of these things in their backyard or in their gym or you know wherever do you have any recommendations if somebody's thinking about building something? Just I know you can't give the blueprints of everything over on a podcast, but just some things at least to consider maybe or, or just how you went about building some of them? Yeah, so um, my first thing I ever built was uh, the 8-foot wall, um, and I actually designed it so I could take out planks and make it shorter so it could be 8 feet, 6 feet, um, 4 feet. Nice. Uh, which was great. And then it got really tiring of taking out all the planks all the time. But also the sun here, Fresno in the summer especially, gets really hot and my wood really warped. Um, so it created a nice little lip that my clients found out was really easy to jump over the wall with. Uh, so I redesigned that obstacle um, and I made it flat. And it was still eight feet, but I made it actually thicker. So every obstacle I've ever, I, I build, I, I try to make it just a little harder than it would be in the race. Something nice. just off um so our wall is a lot thicker um than you would expect so when people jump up i always like seeing their face they'll grab that and go oh that's not as close and then they'll adjust um i I have a basic 
plan for every one, but if anyone wants to learn how to build them, definitely they can reach out to me and find me on Facebook or Instagram. Instagram, I'm the woodworking Spartan. It's really easy to remember. Uh, <laughs> uh, and then, yeah, so I, I have a, a eight-foot wall that I built. Then I built a Z-wall that I actually left it mobile. I put it on casters so I can move it around awesome. as much as I want. And it's slightly – it's actually shorter than it would be in the race. And I've had clients run up to me during races and go, dude, your wall is so much harder than it is in the race. <laughs> well, that's good. Yeah, yeah. Um, just trying to – definitely if, you keep, if you're building an obstacle at home, try to try to make it harder than – than it would be in the race. Don't don't build the exact. They don't give you specs anyway. Um, everything I built off, I built off of pictures. I just kind of type in what obstacle do I want, and I look at it and I'm like, all right, figure out how to build it. Nice. Um, and I go from there. Cool. Yeah. And, and have you discovered any um, any strategies for like if it, if an obstacle is in the sun a lot to help prevent some of that warping? Just yeah, uh, definitely buy dry enough wood. I thought my wood was dry. I thought the wood that I bought was really dry, and it was actually out for a while so when i put it up it just naturally warped on me you can get it painted as soon as possible that kind of helps um but definitely the key is to have really dry wood <laughs> makes sense yeah <laughs> awesome um so i always like to ask or actually you already mentioned your favorite obstacle is the uh the bucket brigade huh yes it is and that's oh i know a lot of people kind of cringe at that yeah, yeah um, definitely a little strange <laughs> yeah i like it I mean, I love other obstacles because the technicality of them all. Mm -hmm. uh, but I love the the simplicity of the bucket brigade because it's just you, a bucket, and there's weight. Um, you can't get any more basic than that, and it it truly pushes you. It it does. I kind of get sad when the obstacle when the bucket brigade is really short. Um, mm -hmm. That's just my personal. Like at Diablo Grande, I was the one. Everyone was cheering because it was so. It was just like a little loop, and I was just like, oh man, like really. <laughs> So I even filled up the bucket to like to the brim, and the volunteer looked at me like I was crazy, and was like, "Hey, that's too much." And I was like, "No, nah, I'm okay." And then <laughs> our coach ran up, was like, "No, this is his favorite. Just let him be." Yeah. <laughs> it went off, um, just because it is it is challenging. That's why I designed our Wednesday hack all around it. Is awesome. yeah, so people get comfortable. I also run with the mace to make it harder too, because that's how I am. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> all right. So how about least favorite obstacle then? Least favorite obstacle. Oh man, I like them all. Um, that's a hard one. Or I would at least biggest challenge, maybe. Biggest challenge. All right. Uh, <laughs> depends if I have my mace on or off. Okay. Uh, because I, I I run with a 15 pound steel mace. Um, the biggest challenge with that would be uh, the Olympus. Normally I'm very good at it, but I my last race I ran and the weight was throwing me off and I almost slipped and. I was very sad, uh, but always, I guess the, the rigs, cause you never know. There's yeah. that, you know, and they change it all the time. I, I like the twister a lot. I think that was really fun. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, the first time I saw it, I, I actually twisted my ankle and which was nice cause we we're hanging, <laughs> but I had the mace on because of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, you mentioned the Olympus and I, I'm a big fan of that one. I, I think it is, it's pretty challenging. A lot of people are struggling with it and I just want to get your, your personal opinion. Are, are you a holes person? Are you a chain? Are you a everything? What, what's your specific strategy? That's a great question. Um, I actually built, when I built my Olympus, I have all holes, uh, holes and, um, just three chains on it or two chains on it. Um, I, I've tr I'm trying to train all my clients to use just the holes. So okay. I'm a hole person. Uh, and I've figured out three different ways of hand placement to make it easier. 
on a person, depending if they have a really large wingspan or a short wingspan, mm-hmm. um, especially with their, their hip placement and everything like that. So we break it down and it's kind of fun. I've, I've gotten to a, a technique where I'll keep, I actually try to run sideways on it. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah Cause uh, I was a, a chain person every time I saw it, I think I've gone through it three or four times yeah. And um, the change just always felt the best and made sense to me. And I could get in that yeah. crouched position and, and make my way across. But then uh, my last race in Vegas, mm. I grabbed the chains. And I don't know if they were, if it was just because of water or they were different, but they were slick. And oh. I just, every time I like got my feet up there, I just didn't feel comfortable. And I switched to the holes and it was super easy. So yeah. I, I think maybe I just didn't try the holes first and was comfortable with the chains, but the, the holes I think is, is for me at least going to be the way to go from now yeah. on. Yeah. I definitely found that, um, I call the, the, the chains or my, Oh crap chains. Like if you're about to slip, you just grab the chain. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, because usually when I found with the, especially with the rock climbing ones that like the rock climbing holds, they get usually get really muddy and slippery and they just become useless anyway. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so holes are always the guaranteed is a hole. You can grab it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I, I think they throw all those things up there kind of to mess with you a little bit because when you have too many choices, sometimes you have a hard time just picking one and then it's too late and you exactly. fall off. So definitely having that plan. Go yeah, ahead. I think it. Yeah, awesome. Uh, so I know you mentioned your Instagram. Uh, if anybody wants to reach out and get a hold or has questions for you, uh, is that the best way to, to get a hold of you? Yeah, Instagram, Facebook, um, Instagram, the woodworking underscore Spartan. Um, Facebook, just Sam Slossman. Um, you can find me on sinnersocr.com as well. Um, Sinners OCR is Instagram and Facebook, so you can find me any any of those locations. All right, awesome. And I'll put the links uh, in our show notes. I'll put links to all that so people can just head over to ocrunderground.com slash episode-32, and you can get all of those links there and, and follow Coach Sam and see all the crazy stuff that he's doing to himself. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much for, for coming on. And um, I know people are going to get a ton out of this interview. So uh, thanks again. Thank you, Mike. All right, guys, that's going to do it for episode 32 of the OCR Underground Show. Thank you so much for tuning in. Um, I actually think I forgot to mention the show notes for this episode are found at www.ocrunderground.com episode 32. So if you want to check out any links mentioned in the show or learn more about any of our guests, head on over there. Speaking of our guests, I want to give a big thanks to Coach John Oblodgett from Malco Mackay Fitness in Hawaii for giving us our Spartan Race recap out of New Jersey. And also Coach Sam Slossman with Sinners OCR for giving us some great insight onto his training methods. Hopefully you picked up a couple great tips and uh, can apply those things into your training uh, this week. And uh, again, don't forget to subscribe. If you go over to iTunes or however you might be listening to the show, make sure you subscribe so you get uh, instant notification whenever a new episode is released. I I usually try and get one a week out. Sometimes I might get two. Other times I might be slacking and and miss a week, but it is always my goal to get one high-quality episode out to you at least per week. And while you're over in iTunes, would love it if you give the show a review. If you picked up a couple good tips, uh, please give me a five-star rating on there. It it helps out the show greatly, and I would really appreciate any help there. Um, But that's it for now. I hope you guys enjoyed the show. Stay tuned for next week when we have another awesome episode for you.